So I'm excited about doing this tonight. And as my wife said, I want you to grab uh, a pen and paper. I think you may want to take some notes. We're going to dive into the life of this Old Testament character, Joseph. However, before I do that, I just want to lay a little bit of foundation. And as we begin to do that, we need to understand just a couple of things. I want to introduce a concept to you. You may be familiar with it, maybe not. Um, and I just want to introduce that to you. And that's what's called typology. And for those not familiar with this terminology, what a typology simply is, it's a study of characters or objects in the Old Testament that will point you or direct you to characters or symbolisms in the New Testament, okay? So just to give you an example, in the Old Testament, when they anointed people, they would literally pour oil on their head. And that oil was a symbolism or representation of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Okay, so this is an example of what's called a typology. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. I just wanted to introduce this to you because we could literally spend a whole session just talking about types. And I that's not what the focus of tonight's session is. But I want you to understand something about the life of Joseph is that Joseph is a type of Jesus. Now, what we're doing here is just laying some foundation. Um, so just to give you how this would work, Joseph, for example, was rejected by his brothers. Jesus was rejected by Israel. Uh, Joseph was sold into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, Joseph suffered for a crime that he didn't commit. Jesus suffered for sins that he didn't commit. Okay, so if you look through the life of Joseph, you will see that Joseph is a type of Jesus. Now, if you want to do some prep work for our sessions over the next couple of weeks, because I'm not sure how long this will take, um, you can read Genesis chapter 37 and then Genesis 39 through 50. So if you want to use that to read through the life of Joseph, you can see his whole life uh, poured out there. And what we're going to do is dive in and out of his life and pull some principles that we can apply to our everyday life. You know, when we started the Bible study club, one of the things that we really wanted to do was be full of the spirit, but at the same time, live lives that are practical according to the word of God. Because no matter how much you learn, if you don't apply it, then it's really useless. So it's not just about learning it, it's about putting it into practice, okay? So that's kind of a little bit of a foundation. Again, your study text, if you want to do that, Genesis 37 and then Genesis 39 to 50. 38 is there. Um, doesn't really talk about Joseph. It talks about Judah and Tamar. You can feel free to read that story as well, should you choose to do that. So let's now look at this person of Joseph and just get an idea of who he is as he gets introduced to us in Genesis chapter 37. And here's what we see. I'm going to read this for you. It says, so Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. By the way, I'm reading from New Living Translation. 
Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Not only that, Joseph was the son of Rachel. And if you know the story of Jacob, Jacob married Rachel. That was the, the wife he really loved, but he had to work for 13 years to get her. Uh, and his father-in-law tricked him by having him marry Leah first, but J Rachel could not have children, okay? And so in her older age, uh, God blessed her with a child, and that child was Joseph. And so Joseph was loved by Jacob more than any other child. So one day Jacob gave him a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of him. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Now, I just want to analyze a couple of things here. Uh, number one, as we can see here, Joseph did not come from a, uh, there was tension in his household. And we see here, Joseph was about 17 years old when we're introduced to him. But here's what's interesting that I noticed here. Um, the tension in his household was created by his father because Jacob loved him more than the other brothers. You see, so if you're, if you're a parent out there, understand this, that sometimes you can be responsible for jacking up your family <laughs> and contributing to a negative family dynamic because that is exactly what uh, Jacob did here by loving the one, okay? We also see Joseph being young, but I would say Joseph was also a tattletale, right? Because it says here he reported to his father some of the bad things his brother was doing. So imagine he's the youngest, and then he's going back. He's the favorite, and then he's going back and telling on the brothers all the bad things that we, they were doing. And so because of that, look at the language in verse 4. His brothers hated Joseph. Why, though? because their father loved him more than the rest of them. You see, the source of their angst towards, or their hatred towards Joseph was created by the father, all right? So you as a parent are one of the biggest contributors to your family dynamic, and the attitude you have towards your children um, can impact that greatly. By the way, we haven't gotten to the principles yet. I'm just doing some background stuff here, okay? There's something else you're going to notice in Joseph's life, and I call this, in Joseph's life, uh, God's pattern of growth. This is how he developed Joseph, because we see here, Joseph at 17 was pretty immature, um, tattletale, telling on his brothers, so on and so forth. But notice God's pattern of growth. I want you to understand this. The first thing is a promise or fulfillment of a promise. We'll see that in just a moment. This is what you see in Joseph's life, by the way. Um, preparation and then promotion. Now, here's what's really interesting. People shout over the promises, right? Oh, God gave me a promise and people get excited and they shout over the promise. And people shout over the promotion. Oh, my goodness. God just elevated me. I'm at a new level. I'm at a new place. I'm doing new things. People shout over that. But somehow, people's 
don't shout or want to skip over the preparation and the lessons that you need to enjoy the promotion or to sometimes see the fulfillment of the promise, those come in the preparation. And that sometimes is the thing that we wanna skip over. We wanna go from promise to promotion and we wanna skip over the preparation. But the preparation is very important. In fact, James says, think about this. He says, consider it pure joy, right? When you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith does what? Develop perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you'll be mature and complete and not lacking anything. So we love to shout over the promise. We love to shout over the promotion. We need to learn to shout over the preparation. And that is not always easy to do, um, to shout over the preparation. But here's what you need to understand about preparation, is that the fulfillment of God's promise or the reward of God's promotion, right, typically does not come without going through the preparation. You see, the key to the promise or the key to the promotion is that phase of preparation um, that we have to go through to get to the place that God wants us to go. And that's sometimes a hard place, all right? Um, so understand this. God will not promote you until he knows you are ready to handle it. Let me say that again. God will not promote you until he knows that you are ready to handle it. Now, notice what I said. I didn't say until you think you're ready, because we might think we're ready now. No, he promotes you when he knows that you are ready to handle it. Here's why. Each level of promotion has greater challenges that require greater skills and need greater wisdom. So how do you get that greater skill or greater wisdom or the ability to face the greater challenge all of that comes in the preparation, all right? So we see initially Joseph is this bratty 17-year-old little tattletale who's the favorite son of Jacob, but then God, if you read the whole story, eventually promotes him to where he's the second highest in command in all of Egypt. And so for Joseph to go from this bratty little 17-year-old to the second in command in all of Egypt, God has to do some preparation, all right? And it's the same thing for us. God will fulfill promises in your life. God will promote you and elevate you, but he's got to prepare you for the step first. And that sometimes hurt because the preparation is where it hurts. The preparation is where it's scary. It's where it's lonely. It's where it's uncertain. It's where it doesn't feel good. It's where many times you might feel like you're moving away from the place God wants you to go instead of moving towards it. All of that happens in the preparation, okay? So we can't skip that step. So let's not just shout over promise or promotion. Let's shout over preparation. By the way, this is all fundamental stuff here. We haven't gotten to the principles yet. I'm just laying some background here. Uh, the next thing is there's a theme that's kind of central throughout Joseph's life. And if you allow it to, there is a theme that is central throughout 
your life as well. God will do this in your life. And understand this. God has a plan and a provision for every area he will bring you to in life. You know, sometimes we forget that, you know, um, that God is a very meticulous planner. Nothing catches him by surprise and nothing happens by accident. God is very meticulous in the way he plans and for every area of life that he is bringing you to, not only has he already planned it out, but he's already provided it out. If that's a, a even right vernacular Englishly in, in English. So he plans it. He's already created the provision for every area he is going to bring you to in life. Okay, so you see that theme in Joseph's life. That theme is also evident in your life as you start to walk and trust and follow God. You will begin to discover that not only does he have a plan, but he has provision already lined up for you for the places that he's planning to bring you. Okay, so let's now dig into the Joseph principles now that we laid some foundation here. So let's read Genesis chapter 37, uh, starting at verse number five. It says, one night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. He said, we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. And his brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon, Joseph had another dream, and again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time, he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. So there are two key principles I want to bring out here. And here's the first Joseph principle. Here's the first one. By the way, this is the one my wife was itching to tell you last week, but she didn't. Uh, here it is. There we go. Silence is golden. Think about this for a moment. Why did Joseph feel the need to share the dream with his brothers, right? Why? Did he have to tell them that? He didn't really have to tell them that, but he got excited about the dream and he decided to share the dream with his brothers and then with his father. The first thing you need to understand, folks, is that everything God tells you, every promise that God gives you, does not necessarily need to be shared with everyone else. Sometimes the revelation that God has for you, sometimes the promise that God has for you is strictly just for you. And we have to learn sometimes how to be silent. There's another aspect to think about this, 
Uh, James talks about learning to be quiet, right? We need to be quick to listen and, and slow to speak. So there is a time to speak, but there's a time to be quiet. And a lot of us, we master the time to speak, but we fail at the time to be quiet. And so it's important to understand that everything God reveals to you, every promise he gives you, every revelation he gives you, every dream he gives you is not necessarily meant to be shared with everyone else. Some things you have to learn to keep to yourself. I'll take it to a step further. There are some times where you need to remain silent to allow God to do what he wants to do in your life. I was recently faced with a situation and it was a little bit of a frustrating situation and I wanted to address the situation. And God said, don't say a word. And so guess what I did? I listened <laughs> and I didn't say anything. And as I have not said anything, what I did was allowed God to work out the situation the way he wanted to. And so sometimes we have to learn how to be silent. And there's another reason why, because this ties into the second principle. And here's the second principle, just from these few passages of scripture. Here's the second one. You see, sometimes your greatest opposition will come from those that are closest to you. Your greatest opposition will sometimes come from those who are closest to you. If you go back to, let me just back up for a second, just so you can see this. Notice what it says. It says, and they hated him all the more. Why? Because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. You see, sometimes the reason why you need to remain silent is because the people around you that you think may support you may actually be the ones that discourage you may actually be the ones that uh, come down on you, right? And they may think that they're doing it for your best interest. And they may be well-intentioned. I'm not saying they're necessarily well-intentioned. In this case, Joseph's brothers hated him. But sometimes sharing your vision or your dream with someone that you think might support you, that person ends up not supporting you. And it's almost like a, a, a stab in the back. And here's why, because a lot of times, and you need to understand this, people think of you for who you are, right? They look at you, they see what you are right now. We saw this in Joseph's brothers. Wait a second. You're our little brother, our youngest brother, and we don't like you anyway. We hate you, by the way, because our dad here thinks you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And you're telling us that you, you little 17-year-old whippersnapper, we're going to bow down to you. Are you kidding me? All right. And so sometimes when we share that, people think of us and look at us for what we really are or what we are right now, not understanding that we can grow and change and mature and grow into the thing that we desire to become or the thing that God is putting us in, right? And so your vision or your success or your dreams can also, here's another part of this, they can make people around you feel uncomfortable. I'm sure when Joseph's brothers heard what Joseph said, I'm sure it made them feel a little bit uneasy. I'm sure if his father felt a little bit uneasy um, 
And so sometimes when you are sharing your dream and your vision, people oppose it. Not be, and, and sometimes it's simply because you are making them uncomfortable with the thing that you are trying to accomplish with the thing that God has put in your heart to do. There was an example of this in the New Testament where Jesus tells the disciples that, you know, he's going to go to the cross. And Peter, being uncomfortable with this, pulls Jesus aside and, and begins to rebuke him, saying, hey, Jesus, what do you think you're doing here? You can't go to the cross. Not you. This will never happen. I'll never let that happen. Why? Because, see, Peter was uncomfortable with that. And so you have to be careful who you share your goals or your visions or your dreams with because a lot of times the greatest opposition is going to come from those closest to you, right? They may say, oh, so you think you're going to be king, huh? Um, you think you're really going to be able to do that? You think you're really going to uh, rule over us? You think you're really better than us? Who do you think you are? And maybe you've heard some of those comments coming from people, and often they come from people close to you. You see, and, and the reason why that's important is because um, people close to you are the only ones that can say that, and that comment will sting or hurt. So, you know, if people don't know you and they think you can't do something, it's not a big deal. But when people that you're close to, that you share some type of relationship with, that you trust, and you share your dream with them, and they take an arrow and just pop a pin in your balloon or whatever, try to shoot it down, those hurt. Okay? But here's another thing to think about, too. Sometimes opposition is the sign that you are exactly in the place that God wants you to be. Now, I do want to caveat that by saying the word sometimes, <laughs> because sometimes we create our own uh, angst and agita or opposition, and then we try to blame it on, on being in God's will, and that's not always the case. But sometimes when people are opposing you, you are exactly in the place that God wants you to be. And I wanted to eliminate for you, just so you know, this idea of um, the idea of smooth sailing Christianity. Sometimes in the pursuit of where God wants you to be, sometimes there will be opposition that you have to fight and overcome. Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. All right. So yes, sometimes your greatest opposition is going to come from those closest to you. So if it happens, don't freak out over it. All right. If God has put it in your heart to do, keep pressing forward with it, regardless of what people say or think or how they try to oppose you. If God has put it in your heart, it's for a reason. Go for what God has put in your heart. Okay. Now, Let's get back to Joseph. Now, let me just fast forward a little bit because what his brothers decided to do, they wanted to kill him. Um, and I'm going to give you the shortened version. Feel free to read the, the fill in the gaps reading uh, Genesis 37 and 39 through 50. They wanted to kill him, but then they said, no, what good will that do? So they decided ultimately to, um, to sell him as a slave. Okay, and that's what they ultimately decided to do. And eventually, as a slave, he ended up 
um, in the house of Potiphar in Egypt. And so let's just take a look. We're going to fast forward to where he's now a servant or a slave in the house of Potiphar. It says, when Joseph, this is Genesis 39, verse 1 to 6, it says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Now, Potiphar was captain of the, of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, okay? So he's a pretty high position. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. And from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. So imagine that. Only thing Potiphar had to think about was get up in the morning, hmm, what do I want to eat today? That's it. And so I want to ask you a couple of questions, and I'm calling these JP questions, Joseph Principal questions, because here's what we see. We see Joseph forced into a position of slavery but yet his attitude towards it was not that of a slave, right? He worked um, diligently to the point where Potiphar recognized his work and put him in charge of everything. So I have a couple of questions I want to ask you, things to think about. Um, here's the first one. What is the attitude that you bring to your job, to your ministry, to your family, right? What's the attitude that you bring? In other words, how do you serve in those places? Here's another question to think about. These are just questions to think about. How do you respond when you're asked to do something that you don't want to do or don't like to do? All right. Joseph was not a willing servant. He was forced. He was sold into uh, his servanthood or his slavery. Yet, Notice how he responded. So how do you respond when you're asked to do something you don't want to do or like to do? That could be on the job. That could be in, in the house. That could be in ministry. That could be anywhere. How do you respond? Here's another question. When people ask you to do something, do they have to worry whether or not it will get done? In other words, the question that I'm really asking you is, can you be trusted? See, these are, these are types of questions I want you to think about as you, as you relate it to your life situation, as you relate it to your household first, right? As you relate to your walk with God, right? Can God trust you? Can God ask you to do something and know it's going to get done? Um, as you relate it to your family and your marital situation, can, can you depend on each other? Can you be trusted? Can you know, okay, if I ask my wife to do this, it's going to happen. If I ask my husband to do it, it's going to happen, um, that they have the right attitude. On the job, is it that way as well? If you serve in ministry, is that way? In other words, apply these four questions to every aspect of your life 
and see what the answers are. And if the answers aren't the right answer that you think is the best, then that's something you need to work on. So I just want to give you that food for thought. Here's the next principle. Your response to trial and adversity reveals your level of maturity. Okay? Your response. How do you respond to trial? How do you respond to adversity? Is it like James considered pure joy? Or is it like the nation of Israel when they were in the desert, grumbling and mumbling and complaining? You see, how you respond reveals your level of maturity. When we first saw Joseph, we saw someone, a young kid who was a tattletale, kind of a bratty kid. Something happened between the time he was uh, sold into slavery, the time his brother sold him, and to now, the time he was working for Potiphar, something changed in Joseph because he became all of a sudden, um, there was a maturity that we see here, all right? So if you want a litmus test to know whether you are growing or not, how do you respond to trials and adversity? See, if you are growing and maturing in your faith, then you will respond appropriately when you are faced with trial, when you are faced with adversity. Here's another principle that, you need to, that I caught here. You need to be faithful where you are because it's all part of God's plan. See, this goes back to the, to the preparation that God needs to instill in you to prepare you for the promotion. I was watching Good Morning America this week, and uh, there was a, a lady there. I, I forgot exactly what she did, but she, uh, she was answering questions from the audience and a, and a young lady who was about to graduate college asked her a question. And, and the lady said, well, I'm about to graduate from college. And um, how do I guarantee or something along the lines that I land my dream job when I get out of college? And the lady's response to her was, chances are you're not going to land your dream job right out of college. You see, the, the, the thought process in this young woman's mind was that I can get right out of college with no experience, no work history, anything, and walk into this exciting dream position that um, just because I am who I am without having to go through the preparation or pay the dues. You see, there's a reason why you pay those dues, as we said before. Um, and sometimes we want to skip over that. You know, and so where we are, we don't want to be faithful where we are because this is not really what I want to do. I want to do something else. But what God is saying is wherever you are, be faithful in what you are doing. Be dependable where you are, right? Here's what God says. If you are faithful in little things, what? I will make you ruler over many things. And so sometimes we want to skip over. We want to cut corners because, eh, this is really what I want to do. And what God is saying is be faithful and diligent where you are as God is preparing to move you to where you where he wants you to go. Because if you can't be faithful there, guess what? You won't be faithful when you get to the place where you want to go. 
So be faithful where you are. Wherever you are right now, be faithful there because it's part of God's plan. He is preparing you for the promotion. And remember, he won't promote you until he knows you are ready. There's no skipping. You know, you don't skip second grade or third grade or any of that stuff. God promotes you when, you, when he knows you are ready. Here's another principle you see here in just these password scriptures. God blesses the unjust because of your presence or the unsaved because of your presence. We see here in Joseph's life that Potiphar was being blessed simply because Joseph was there. And the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. And so because of Joseph's presence, Potiphar was being blessed because of Joseph's presence. I have a friend of mine that uh, manages movie theaters, and uh, he used to work in Brooklyn. Um, in fact, he opened the, the, the uh, movie theater on, on Linden Boulevard in Brooklyn. And that movie theater, you know, it's in East New York. And when he opened it, I forgot how many years ago this was now. This is definitely at least maybe 15, 20 years ago, I think. But it was right across the street from the Pink Houses in Brooklyn, which is, uh, for those who don't know what that is, that's uh, one of the projects in Brooklyn. Um, and with most projects around this, not all, but most, there's, you know, there's gang activity or, or criminal activity, all that kind of stuff. And yet, in the midst of this area, right, he was there, he's a believer, not once did he ever have any issue happen on his watch. Now, I, I was watching um, the news one day, and so the story comes up that someone got shot in his parking lot. And so I called them up and I said, hey man, some, what's going on in your movie theater? Someone just got shot in your parking lot. And he told me, he said, guess what? I don't work there anymore. The boss had let him go. Now he was there for about three or four years, never had an incident, never had an issue, nothing. He was gone for two weeks. And in the two weeks that he was gone, someone got shot in the parking lot. You see, you need to understand something. God blesses unjust or unsaved people because you are there. The blessing of God that is on your life flows over to those who are unjust because you are in their presence. Because you are there, the blessing of God will flow to those other people. So understand that and keep that in mind. Here's another principle um, from Joseph. With great power comes great responsibility. This also goes back to what I said earlier, is can God trust you? You see, when you look at the trajectory of Joseph's life, God was moving him to the second highest position in, in all of Egypt. Here, Joseph was simply a slave or a servant in Potiphar's house. And yet, even in that position, he had power and authority because Potiphar didn't worry about anything. And yet, when God gives that to you, there is responsibility that comes with it. It's Luke chapter 16, verse 10, which I related to earlier. It says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. 
But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Um, Oprah Winfrey said this. She said, you know, money just makes you more of what you already are. So if you cheap when you ain't got no money, you're going to be cheap if you get a lot of it. <laughs> if you're going to be uh, generous with no money, you'll be generous with a lot of it. All right. So the way you treat the little things is exactly the way you will treat the bigger things. So if God gives you any level of power, any level of leadership, any level of management, any type of thing, any type of authority, any type of autonomy with great power comes great responsibility. And if you can't handle the little things, then you will not be able to handle the bigger things. And that's why God will not promote you until he knows that you are ready. So when you handle the small pieces of power or, or, or responsibility or, or that God gives you, then he knows he can trust you with more. Let's keep going. Um, Genesis chapter 39. Now, Joseph was a very handsome man and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. She said, come and sleep with me. Notice the, she, she demanded this. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. There's that principle, great power, what? Great responsibility. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. Think about a few things here for a moment, folks, just understanding the story, and, and let, let's paint a realistic picture here. We see before Joseph enters on the scene, he was 17 years old. Um, have no idea how old he is at this point, but he can't be much older than 17. So he's probably still a teenager. Yet, the Bible says he was handsome, he was well-built, he was young, he was a teenager. And you know what that meant? He was full of hormones. Because <laughs> that's what teenagers are, okay? And if you think about it, Potiphar's wife had to be an attractive woman to Joseph, or there would not have been a temptation because you cannot be tempted with something that is not attractive to you, all right? If you see an, a woman that you don't think is attractive, then you're not gonna be tempted to be with that woman or um, it's vice versa if it's a man, okay? So you can't be tempted with something that's not attractive to you. If you have no taste for smoking, you can't be tempted with cigarettes. If you have a, don't have a taste for alcohol, you can't be tempted with, with drinking or so on and so forth. But here's the principle I want you to focus on, two things. The first one is this, sin delays the promotion, avoid it at all costs, and run if you must. Notice the wisdom of Joseph here, in that he understood that Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with him, and so what did he do? 
he avoided her at all costs, right? There's only, uh, sexual sin, by the way, is one of the sins where God will say, run, run from sexual immorality. And I think Joseph used some wisdom, and, and I'm taking some creative license here. I believe that one of the other reasons why Joseph avoided her is because he did not want to give in to the temptation. You see, there's wisdom in, in avoiding areas or places or situations that will create temptation in your life. There is wisdom in avoiding those areas, okay? And we need to avoid sin at all costs because sin delays the promotion. I want you to understand something. Sin can either delay, disrupt, or even destroy the plan of God for your life. In fact, I'm going to take this a step further. The only person that can prevent you from getting to the place that God wants you to get to in life is you. People can't stop you. Um, Satan can't stop you. But the choices you make can. And sin is one of those choices that can prevent you from getting to the place that God wants you to go to. Contrast, for example, Joseph with Samson. Samson was tempted by Delilah, but what did he do? He kept hanging around Delilah, and eventually she just wore him down. Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, and what did he do? He stayed away from her, so did not give her the opportunity to wear him down, okay? And so you have to understand the only thing that can destroy, or one of the things that can, or the only person, rather, that can destroy the plan of God in your life is you and the choices and the decisions that you make. So it's important to avoid sin at all costs. You know, I, I read about Billy Graham in his life. He made it a point to never be in a room alone with a woman who was not his wife. I think that's wisdom. Why? Because you, it, it, it eliminates the temptation, all right? Um, I did a whole teaching on this called The Dream Killers, and we have it up on our website. But feel free to listen to that. I kind of go into a little bit deeper of that. But the only person that can ever stop you from getting to where God wants you to go is you. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? So I want you to get that. I want you to understand that. All right. Think of people who have built successful careers or successful businesses or successful marriages or successful ministries, and they lost them all because of sinful choices. And so that's why your choices matter. Avoid sin at all costs. Okay. It can destroy, delay, or disrupt the plan of God in your life. Here's another one. Um, it's this, always think about the consequences before <laughs> you act and not after, before you act, all right? And I think that's the wisdom that Joseph used is he thought about it before the act, right? How could I do such a thing and sin against God? And what temptation always tries to get you to do is not think about the after 
but to think about the act itself, not the consequences, right? That's what happened with Adam and Eve. They were tempted and they thought about the, the, what they could get, not understanding the consequences. And so sometimes we have to think about the consequences before we take that action. And if we did that, maybe and hopefully God will help us not to take the wrong action. Okay. Um, let's move forward here. I just want to fill in a little bit of story and then we're going to start wrapping this up for this session. Just so you know, um, and again, you can read this in Genesis 39, Potiphar's wife continued to pursue Joseph whenever she could, whenever he was around her, to the point where at one point she grabbed him and said, come on, Joseph, you got to sleep with me. So this was a really um, aggressive woman pursuing Joseph. So Joseph was wise to stay away from her. And Joseph ran away from her. And in his running from her, the right thing to do, he left behind his cloak. And so what she did was she cried rape, basically, and told her husband that this Hebrew that you have brought into our house tried to rape me. And so I want you to look at the, what happens here. It says, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison, and the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. I hope you're seeing those principles, right? Be faithful where you are. It's part of God's plan. With great power, there comes great responsibility. Uh, God blesses the, uh, the unjust because of your presence, right? But here's another principle I want you to see because it happened here. And, and sometimes this may happen. Right actions sometimes produce what appear to be wrong consequences. Keep in mind, Joseph did absolutely everything right, and yet he got what appeared to be a wrong consequence, okay? Right, he didn't deserve to go to prison. He didn't even deserve to be sold as a slave. He certainly didn't deserve to go to prison. He did everything right. And sometimes right actions can produce, and, and the key word there is what appear to be wrong consequences, okay? But even when that happens, be faithful where you are. Why? Because it's all part of God's plan. Understand these two things and then we'll wrap this up for tonight. Remember what we said, God's pattern of growth, it's promise, it's preparation, it's promotion. So if some, if you do the right thing and, and a wrong consequence happens, be confident in that knowing that you did the right thing and allow God to handle the, the, the fallout from that, if you will, all right? So it's promise, 
it's preparation that's where we sometimes get uh, losing it and then it's promotion and i hope you're beginning to see this in joseph's life as god is moving him from step to step god is preparing him for the next level of promotion because everywhere he went right he was elevated god was continued to elevate him however to get him to the next step god had to continue to prepare him so consider that and then the other part we see as i said before that god has a plan and a provision for every area he will bring you to in life and i hope you're beginning to see that it's not just true in joseph's life that is true in our life as god leads you he will provide god has already mapped out the plan and he's already mapped out the provision 